Entrepreneur Circle is an on-air brands production and a proud member of the On-Air Brands Network. Hi, this is Robert Kiyosaki, and you're listening to Entrepreneur Circle with Eric Cabral. On this episode, a lot of times people will say that life insurance isn't sexy. I said, stop, (laughs) stop with the noise, because when you understand it, it changes everything. It changes everything. The problem is there's too many people who are product peddlers, right? They're just peddling the product just to make a commission. And that's who you got to watch out for. Hey there, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur Circle podcast, where we inspire you by talking to entrepreneurs and business owners about mindset, goals, vision, tips and strategies on how to crush life and business. I am your host, Eric Cabral, real estate investor and a creative. I've been in the creative industry for over 20 years, got my start in New York City as a junior art director and made my way up the corporate ladder to become the creative director at the number one pharma company in the world. That was until I decided to hang up my corporate hat and start my own creative agency called On Air Brands, where we broadcast your brand and your message using social media and live stream events. Hit us up at info at onairbrands.com to learn more. Also, like subscribe and share this podcast on social we greatly appreciate you for it and also don't hesitate to send us any feedback that you may have because we always love 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 hearing from you before we jump into the show i'd like to share what some of our sponsors partners and friends of the show have to offer you Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. Hey there, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur's Circle. Today, I am super excited to be chatting with my good friend here, and I'm so excited to be introducing him to you if you don't already know him and have come through our channels because he has been on some of our shows. He has come through our events, and I'm really proud to bring to you an amazing dude named Hone Tai. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, Eric. Yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to hang out with you, man. So thanks for having me on. Dude, you're the best, man. And I just went, I'm going to tell people why you're the best, but let's let's highlight who you are and what you do. So Hone Tai um, is an amazing investor. He's got this ridiculously positive mindset and attitude on life. Um, he comes from Hone Zones. Uh, his, well, his show, 
which he recently launched, Hone Zone, and the podcast and his live streaming show, which is absolutely amazing. He's completely crushing it on social. And he um, he also has Hone's Loans, um, which is focused in the financial and uh, real estate space. So yeah, again, brother, welcome to the show. And and, and I'm looking forward to, to telling people you know, everything you do. I don't even know what I do. <laughs> it's constantly evolving. I think that's the entrepreneurial curse, right? We're just never satisfied. We always see everything as a problem. And then when we see the problem, we see the solution at the same yeah. time. And we want to create it. Right. Creating, that's the weird rabbit hole or vortex we can get trapped into when uh, being the entrepreneur, really, really having that itch and saying, man, I just want to create that idea. And then when the idea happens and it's in motion, you kind of get bored with it. And then you're just like, oh, I already did that. Let me move on. If you're that type of personality like you and I seem to be, um, we need people who implement and people who who don't get bored with building it. The behind the scenes guy. Yeah, yeah. They're not they're not coming up with the cool ideas. They're just um, more than happy to, to, to make it reality. Um, so I just wanted to highlight to, to the folks um, – how we met and then where you originated and came from and then where you are today. So um, Hone was introduced to me through social and, and, and through my team and the team found you. And right away I noticed your name, which you had in your social as Hone Houdini Tai. And that struck a chord with me. I was like, well, is that for real? Is that his real name? And then you had this brand at the time, you know, which you still have, but it resonated with me. It's like, I escaped my nine to five. And I was like, oh, so did I. Oh, he's an Asian dude too. And then I was like, hey, let's get him in here. And then all of a sudden you were here in the flesh and you fit in. It was family. And everybody was like, dude, we love this guy. We love your brand. We love your story. And that's the thing that you created that separated you from everyone else. You had this story right off the bat that was like, hey, oh, shit, we're coming, we're coming from the same environment, cut from the same cloth, leaving a, a job and becoming an entrepreneur, which is really scary. So you want to talk about that and, and the entrepreneurial itch and that bug that bit you to say like, hey man, I'm just gonna do it. Forget that job, I'm gonna do my own thing. A lot of times people say jobs are super safe and secure and get that paycheck and all that kind of stuff. And I understand where they're coming from because while you have the job, that paycheck is coming in and it feels very safe. But is it, right? I'm in Pennsylvania, are you in New Jersey? I forget. Yeah, I'm in Jersey. You're in New Jersey, I'm in Pennsylvania. Both states are what they call at will. So they can actually let you go just because they want to. That doesn't actually sound very safe to me. So I always had this paranoia that the, the axe was going to co come down. It's going to be Thanksgiving for the turkey. The turkey's been fed all of this time, like years and years, and it's big and fat now. And then it's like, oh, the farmer wants to come feed me again. And whap, Thanksgiving, right? And I always was afraid of that. I didn't want to be the turkey. That's where I, I was like, I need my way out. I need to have a different vehicle and one that I'm in control of. The other thing that really scared me was my boss would say, Hone, if you work really, really hard, one day you can have my job. And I was like, I don't want that. What, what was it? What job was that? I had an engineering job. So I was like a senior engineer or whatever. And, you know, then we had the manager of the department and all, you know, and then as you go up and up and up on the, the hierarchy, they just had more and more responsibilities that I just didn't care for, right? Now, as an entrepreneur, we, right, you and I both, 
we're on 24-7, 365, right? And we have all kinds of responsibilities, probably 10 times more than I had when I was working. But just something didn't sit right with me, thinking that having all these responsibilities at this job that was not my business just just didn't jive, right? So I was always taught, mind your business, meaning focus on your business, build your business. And what is our business? Building a portfolio, building a business, building something that is ours, that if we wanted to pass down, we could. If we wanted to draw money out of, we could. If we wanted to borrow against, we could. So all those things we're in control of. I could not do that at my job. The company was not my company. I couldn't borrow against it. I couldn't pass it down. I couldn't even get my my kids into that job if I wanted to. I could say, hey, would you consider? But I couldn't hire someone on the spot. Not my business. So if I'm focused on my business, then I, I got to figure out what my business is and I got to build that so that I can get away from this thing that says, in a couple of years, Hone, you work really hard. You're just going to have to work harder. Right? You get to have my position thinking like that was my driver, but it's not. For some people, it is. The title, the, the, the name on the door, the corner office, that's their driver. It wasn't mine. So he spoke to me in the wrong language. He didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. Maybe he, if he was like, Hone, you could run your own business within this company. If you created more products, if you created income stream, if you created efficiencies and we paid you on that, would you like that? I'd be like, wow. Then that would have been my speed, but he didn't. He didn't know better because he – my boss was in the company already for 32 years. So he was in there for 32 years and I'm like, I don't know if that's what I want because there is my future right there. And I, I wasn't inspired by his life or his demeanor or anything. So I was like, yeah, that's not where I want to go. So you have to figure your way out. And that's what, that's what I ended up doing. I had to figure my way out. And it was through real estate that allowed me to do that. This is interesting. I have a couple of questions. So I'm curious if you came from an entrepreneurial family. And then also I'm curious why, while you were doing your, your job as an engineer, didn't you think, oh, I'll just create a business around my skill set, which is engineering and do that? Why real estate versus staying in your space? Um, I actually tried to start an engineering type company immediately just because it's funny. We do what we know at first, right? When I talk to people who are unemployed waiters and waitresses, the first thing that they tell me is that they're looking for another waiter or waitressing job. And I'm like, the world is big. And that's not a high skilled job. Like you could really go anywhere. Like you can always go back to that one. Like that's not that's not going anywhere. Maybe try some other things, right? But I kind of did the same thing where I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to create a business, what, what can I create a business in? Let me try an engineering type business. And mechanical engineers, I didn't know this at the time when I signed up to, to major in it, but mechanical engineering is a lot of it is HVAC design. So I don't know if you know that or not, but mechanical engineers designed HVAC systems. So the size of the duct and all of that, that all matters. And who designs that? Yeah, it's a mechanical engineer. So I tried to venture out and maybe do that. And I realized I hated it. It's like, yeah, I know it, but it's not it, – it wasn't a choice of mine. If you had a whole piece of paper, it's like, oh, what would you like to learn about? Uh, designing race cars, designing computers, designing HVAC systems. I would not have checked the HVAC system, 
right? It just so and when you were going to school, they didn't say that to you. Like, hey, no. most likely you're going to be doing this. Yeah, and most likely most of the mechanical engineers that were coming out of college were going into the HVAC field, just because that's that's where the that's where the HVAC people came from, mechanical engineering students. So how did real estate? How did that fall into your lap? Rich dad, poor dad, of course. Yes, the purple pill. Yeah, purple pill. Rich dad, poor dad. It it's uh. It was that thing of collect the assets, acquire the assets, and have enough passive income that pays for your expenses, and you can retire. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I had no interest in real estate whatsoever. So really funny. In 2008, a friend of mine, he would tell me, yo, man, you got to get into real estate. You got to get into real estate. And and he would push me. And I'd be like, nah, 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 it's boring. Why? Who cares? Like – I don't want to own a building. Like, I don't care for that. Oh, toilets and blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then a new – there was like a paradigm shift, right? 2009. And I'm like, real estate, right? And I go back to him <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm going to get into real estate. And at this point, he he's like, meh. And he oh, – nothing. He, like, lost he, he never invested, right? But he just kind of like, you know, whatever. Because and what a time too, man, to start jumping into it, right? Oh eight, oh nine, oh ten, uh, two, yeah, that's nuts. So, who introduced the book? How did you discover the book? Uh, I uh, I got introduced to the book from my wife, actually, but what? she wasn't my wife at the time. She wasn't even my girlfriend at the time. She was just a friend that I was trying to court, and then she said that she was reading this book and I was like, Oh, I think I have that book. And it turned out I didn't have the book. So I ran out and I bought the book and then I read through the book and I even, I actually read faster than she did. Cause she kind of just did it for fun. And I, but once I started consuming the book, it was just like light bulb paradigm shift, the whole bit. So then I, yeah, I read the book and I was like off to the races. So I went to the I went to that rich dad seminar that they would have like hey coming to a town near you I did the same thing <laughs> I even went to real estate like agent school just because I thought that's how you do it like because the purple pill book as you call it right rich dad poor dad it doesn't give you any strategies it doesn't tell you like oh do this and do that do that like it just kind of high level super high level kind of like you can do this this is how passive incomes created all of that. A lot of people read the book and do nothing after that um, because, like you said, there are no brass tactics, step-by-step, you know, things in the book. It's really, like you said, it's, 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 a, it's a paradigm. It's a mind shift that once you take it and you take action, then you jump into, you know, uh, Quadrant and all his other – Cashflow Quadrant and all his other books that show you and teach you step-by-step step, or go into the funnel, which is all designed, by the way. I didn't realize that. When you went to that free seminar, you know, the, with the top of the funnel and then going into a program that's, you know, four ninety seven for a weekend and then and then 2000 and then 20000 before you know it. I'm like, I'm investing in my education, not so much <laughs> real estate right now, which is okay. You know, it's okay. Just – it all depends on what – you have tolerance for in terms of risk. So you got into that. You started reading Rich Dad. Um, and then what was your next step in terms of like, um, I'm going to get into single family, multifamily, private lending. Like how, how did it work for you? So I was from nothing, right? Just like no knowledge whatsoever. I, I was like, okay. I knew, I knew when you buy a house, you put a 20% down payment. And when you buy a commercial property or get a commercial loan, 
it's 30% down. I don't know how I knew that. It just kind of, it was just there on the surface somehow. And I said, okay, I'm going to go buy me an investment property. And I was looking at three unit buildings, like triplexes, right? I was looking at three unit buildings and I was looking at these ones in South Philadelphia. They were about $200,000 at the time. And I was thinking to myself, in order to buy this, I would need to put 30% down to get this building. And then there's going to be closing costs. And I don't know exactly what's involved with the closing costs, but I know there's going to be more costs. So I'm going to have 60000 plus whatever. And then I was like, man, what is the cash flow? Like this unit's going to rent for this, this, and this. Add it up. I was like, after I pay taxes and then insurance and maybe some utilities and things like that, I was like, my break even is going to be like eight years to get my 60000 plus back from the cash flow. I was like, you know, I've never invested in real estate before, but I don't think this is how they do it. I don't think that it's an eight-year break-even cycle before you buy your next property. So I did nothing from 2009 into 2011. There was this gap because I my brain could not figure out how people were doing it. I got lucky though. In 2011, there was I went to a meeting and it just happened to be within a commercial development company, real estate company. And he, he goes in there and he's like, who's interested in commercial real estate? And I put my hand up and I'm looking around and nobody else. He's like, oh, that's it, huh? Just one. Because he was just hosting the meeting. The meeting had nothing to do with the commercial development. He was hosting. He introduced himself. So then afterwards, I like I run over to him. I'm like, dude, I need to know something. And he was like, oh, great. I'm having a seminar if you want to come. And I was like, I'm there. I don't care when it is. I don't care how much it is. I'm in there, right? So I paid for the seminar and that's actually when I learned about the Burr Method, right? And this is way before it had a, a name, Burr Method, right? So he taught me all about how to buy a property with hard money and then rehab it and then rent it out. And because he did commercial stuff, it was all about income approach, NOI divided by the cap rate and then there's your value and then refinance at 70% loan to value, blah, 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 win. And I was like, ah, I got it. So I got all my money back within a year or whatever. Not an eight-year break, break even period. Right, right. You had a, an aha moment. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, I get it now. I you get know, it. I'm not going to be on pause anymore. I'm going to press play and, and, and going forward. So so what was the, the first deal? What was that like? The first deal was actually a six-unit apartment building that he bought to develop for himself, uh, but he decided to just kind of put it on pause. He, he bought it and just sat on it. And then he said, yo, you're like the only – one of the students that takes any of this training seriously because I would actually call him. I would do the equations. I would do all this kind of stuff. I would figure out income approach and just do the math over and over and over. And he's like, you're the only one. Everybody else just takes the books and just puts them on their shelf, right? So he was like, I got this property. Are you interested in buying it? And then I just did my analysis over and over and over. And I was scared to death, right? I was scared to death. I was like, six units. I mean, don't people do single families? I did the analysis over and over and over. I, I tried to kill the deal, as they call it, right? I tried to reduce the ARV gradually. Does the deal still work? I tried to reduce the rents gradually. Does the deal still work? I kept doing that. I tried to kill the deal. The deal wouldn't die. So I was like, all right, you know what needs to die? My fear. My wow. fear needs to die. So signing on the line. That deserves a clap, man. That's amazing. And this is what I love about you and what I know and what I've grown to, to learn and love about you is you are really 
the fire aim ready type of guy when I first met you and when and and you were on our show and we we're like, hey dude, you should come back here. We're having this cool event called Potmax. And you're like, what is it? And we explained it to you and you're like, I'm in. You literally said, I'm in. And then like you signed right up, zero fear. You're like, I never hesitate. If something feels right, I'm in. And you did it with this guy. He was like, hey, come along. Who wants to learn about investing in commercial real estate? You're like, me, you're the only one. I'm in. <laughs> it's like decide, right? I mean, so how has that been working for you since? Have you been like that all your life or is that a recent thing? It's, it's been a, for a few years now. I would say, I mean, maybe since 2009 or something like that. I'm not really sure when, but this whole idea of fire aim ready has been the philosophy that's been driving my life because I've noticed if you just study people, study habits, study human nature, people do ready aim Aim, 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 and then they never fire. <laughs> and as we know, the only thing that gets results is action, right? Action equals results. No action, no results. And results are the only thing that change your life because if you do nothing, you get nothing. And it's the little decisions in our life that completely change our life. So the life that you want, you could have if you take the decisions or make the decisions, take the actions to get that. That's it. It's a very simple formula. Not easy, but simple. Take those actions and voila. So I, I created Fire Aim Ready only because I knew that fear gets larger with time. So the more time I gave myself to think about it, right? I hate that when people, oh, I got to think about it. I got to think about it. What they don't realize is that they're creating larger and larger fear within themselves that will prevent them from taking action. And you're calling me or we're talking because you're interested in creating some kind of change in your life. You want some kind of result. You want more money. You want more financial freedom. You want to escape your job, whatever it is. And I'm telling you, like, you got to take an action. And the action you're choosing to take is the I'll think about it. Well, that I'll think about it is going to cause your fear to magnify or multiply. That fear is going to cause you to stay in place. And then this decision that you're going to make is to make no decision at all. And that's what kills most dreams. And I've seen it over and over and over. And I said, I do not want to be like that. I do not want to be like that. Fire aim ready is going to be my thing. And, I've, and that's been it. Yeah, yeah. Another tool that I like to give people, which is the exact same thing, is fire aim ready. Um, because some people are like, oh, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, this is another tool in your in your tool belt is to say, ask yourself, what's the best case scenario that will happen as a result of me making a decision? What's the What's the worst case scenario? And what's the most likely case scenario? It's nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 times, it's going to be the most likely scenario. And then that eventually becomes your gut instinct because you can like now think of that like that in a snap. And it's the same thing. It's like you have that innate that's in you, in your DNA now, where you just like those questions happen and that's your gut and you say yes. But yeah, because what I like about you too is, is like, you know, based on the decision, whether it's a right decision or a wrong decision, you appreciate the fact that you're going to learn something from it. If it's a mistake, you're like, I'm going to I'm gonna get something out of it. If it's a lesson, right? <laughs> if it's something, it's going to make me stronger because um, if, if, if it's, if it's going to work, then great. If it doesn't, then great because now I got something. To... But anyway, so I love all that. I love, I love this. Jeez, dude, that's, that's crazy. Your first deal was a six unit. So are you still with that property? That... I, no, I sold that two years ago because back in 2016, for those listening today, it could be the year 2030, right? I don't know. But the, the year now is 2020. I sold this, I think, actually late 2017. So it's like two and a half years later. 
or two and a half years ago. And I sold it because in 2016, and I don't know if you remember how it was in 2016, Eric, but everybody was saying the market's going to crash. The market's going to crash, right? Because we're in an eight-year cycle and it's eight years later and <laughs> we only have as much imagination to know that everything happens exactly the way it happened in the past. And so it has to crash now. And you hear this over and over and over. You, you buy into it a little bit and then you say, okay – if I if I keep it, what's going to happen? If I sell it, what's going to happen? It, it's one of those kind of things. I didn't love the property. The property wasn't in the best neighborhood. It didn't. It had a lot of turnover. It was just kind of a little bit of problematic property. So I sold it after owning it for what was that? Five years, six years ish, and then yeah, got rid of it. Was it good cash flow? It cash flowed when it was rented and tenants were paying. Right. This is prior to me learning about Section 8 and doing that and all that kind of stuff. So I was dealing with market rate tenants and all that. And, you know, because bad neighborhood, sometimes the tenant quality isn't the best. And, you know, it's what it is. Were you managing it? I was. I was managing it. And I said to myself, I'm going to manage this property because though I'm scared to death and though I don't want to do it, I need to do it because I want to learn what the ins and outs are of owning a property and what a manager may go through so that if they're trying – if I hire a manager in the future and they're trying to get one over on me, I'll know because I've been through it. So I said to myself that, that story. That's awesome. So are you still managing any properties or – I still manage properties only because when I rehab them, I do a really good job at the rehab. I, I really care about the properties. And so they're they're very low maintenance for the most part. And I'm doing more Section 8 properties and things like that. So I, I not that I don't see the value in a property management company, but the way it's set up right now, it it's almost silly because I get maybe one call, you know, whatever. It's just not it's not a lot. It's not a lot. And usually if someone's like, oh my toilets, whatever, they text me. I send a text to right. someone. You're not going out. Yeah. If you're texting me, Eric, I'm responding. Like it's no different. Like it's it's not a big deal. So I, I currently still still manage tenants. But I'm not that I uh, am pivoting away from real estate, but I don't like real estate. And and people some people who, who get close to me realize that. They they know I don't like real estate. I love helping other people create financial financial success and freedom and things like that by reducing taxes, by creating more income streams, by making your business more efficient, things like that. I love that part of it. Real estate has just given me the vehicle to find my own financial freedom. It, it has allowed me the lifestyle to figure out my other things, right? It gave me the income. So now the pressure's off for me to have to make money from these other ventures. Like I can do these other ventures with less pressure because it's not 100 dependent. Like I don't have to eat from these new ventures. I don't. I don't have to take from them just yet. Now I do, but I don't have to. Gotcha. And I'm with you. You know, our mutual friend and Jay Scott admitted that on the show yesterday that uh, he hates real estate. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's a bigger pockets, you know, guy, and he's talking about how he hates real estate. But I'm I'm with you in that camp. I love what it what real estate does for me and my family. Not necessarily the whole process of of developing and building and keeping that engine running. But um, so so let's let's get into what you're doing now. So homes loans, 
it seems like a natural evolution of what you're doing in real estate. Um, so how did that come to be? And, and, and what, is, what service does it provide the community? So Homes Loans was an evolution. I didn't even know it was going to happen. It was not a thing that was planned. It was just who I grew into. And what I mean by that is because I was a real estate investor and I was always very vocal about helping people and people would see what I'm doing. And I'm like, yeah, I can help you learn about investing in real estate. So people would come to me, I would tell them, and then, of course, there's funding involved with real estate, and people are always lost. They didn't know where to get the funding from. They didn't know how the funding worked. So I would explain to them exactly how, like, hard money. You might need points and interest, and you might need some down payment. You might need some down down money for the rehab and whatever, right? It, there's moving parts, and people are confused. So I would explain the process to them. And then they would ask me, well, can you help me get the money as well? I'm like, okay. And I was like, hmm, right? So then I'm calling hard money lenders and I'm like, hey, somebody wants to get a hard money loan. Do you guys have, do you guys have a program where I can get paid if I help facilitate this? And it's funny. There was this one company who was like, we don't have a, an affiliate program, right? Well, I was like, well, you got to make one. Because I got all these people that are going to need loans. So they custom created an affiliate program for me. And I said, I need, I need this to happen. I was like, it needs to be this price uh, set up this way if I bring these people. And I don't want my clients paying any more money or nothing because you're paying me. I don't want none of that. I, just, I want people to get their money at a fair price. And so they created that affiliate program for me. Now they have a handful of affiliates. They have other people they're working with, but they're like, "Oh, you were the first one. You like, you you made a argument to have it." So it just progressed from me teaching and having a real estate group and me helping people learn about real estate to me helping them get the financing to actually do the deals to put their knowledge to action, right? So it's just that knowledge to action to the results. Are you working exclusively with that that lender, or do you have? you know, a whole Rolodex full of people that you reach out depending on whatever that project needs. Now it, it, it evolved even more to the point where I do have a whole Rolodex of different lenders that I have created relationships with and they like what I bring to the table. I even got, I even got a position at a bank where they said, I was like, Hey guys, you're going to need me. And I know your products already because I'm a customer of yours already. So wow. bring me on board and I'm going to bring more loans to you guys. I'm a client. I already know what you guys do. I already know how to describe the product. Let's do this. And they said, sure. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Wow. They said yes. And so I have all of these different connections and it's been, it's been great. It's been actually really fulfilling helping people get to the closing table. Let's say yeah. you were doing a burst strategy and you were refinancing. It's like I love being able to help you refinance because it's like the, the process is complete. It really works. Would you label yourself as a loan officer? Hmm. I don't know exactly even what that means, to be honest. <laughs> it's funny that the one title that a bank gave me was business development officer. I like that. Yeah. So I, I develop more businesses. I help people yeah. with SBA loans as well. So this whole uh, – again, this is 2020 for those listening. And right now – Eric and I are stuck in a pandemic and we don't yes. know what's happening. The world has not yet opened up. So this is pretty cool. We're going to listen to this years from now and be like, remember that? Remember when we were in that <laughs> pandemic and we were – And we didn't know. Yeah. yeah, we didn't know and the world was shut down. 
So we are in that in that lockdown right now, and the SBA has been issuing people this thing called the PPP, which is the Payroll Protection Program, and I've been helping other real estate investors and entrepreneurs get these loans. So it's super cool that I've been able to help businesses stay afloat because of that. People would email me and said, like, Hone, if it wasn't for that loan, we'd be out of business. So you saved us. It's like, whoa, whoa so cool. That's huge. That so is cool. huge, dude. Can you help me with uh, pushing my EIDL application through? Because I haven't heard anything. Unfortunately, <laughs> no, because the EIDL is direct with the SBA. And that is out of the hands of a bank. Yeah, I've heard at least a couple of guys that I know, they got uh, an SB, um, a PPP loan. But yeah, I haven't heard. Have you heard people getting the EIDL? I have heard people getting the EIDL. And then I've heard that the EIDL will not say anything or the SBA will not say anything at all. And then one day it's going to be like, boop, there it is. And you're like, oh, oh. Good morning to me. So maybe oh, it's in wow. your account. You just didn't check. Yeah. Let me go check. Yeah. At least that 10K that they were promising, right? Yeah. You know, that 10K you... quickly evolved to 1K per employee. And if you have no employees and you're a sole member LLC or S Corp or whatever it is, then it's 1,000. Wow. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. So it, it, it morphed really quick from 10,000 to one. Hello, this is Josh McCowan, CEO of Viva May Hospitality and the beautiful Renault Resort Winery. I have to tell you, the secret's out. And the secret is On Air Brands. On Air Brands Creative Agency, which specializes in launching podcasts, transforming live events into live streaming events, and social media marketing soup to nuts. On Air Brands has changed the game. There'll never be a day from here forward when you and I and our companies don't need to be on the air. Every brand needs to be on the air, but so few know that. So it's great to work with a group that are ahead of the curve and to find a company that has been built on the core foundation of the future of marketing. If you're ready to broadcast your brand like they've done for my brands, take the next step and make a change that can transform your business. Reach out to On Air Brands today. That's onairbrands.com. Yes, onairbrands.com. Another buddy of mine posted on Facebook recently. He's like, waiting for a PPP or EIDL? Forget them. I got my money from PayPal in four days. And PayPal's been really, really aggressive in terms of lending people. But they're, I was never really happy with how they structured it. The, the interest was always way too high and the arm was way too short. And, you know, the, how do you feel about, like, these companies that, you know, they're, they're, they're known as the money company like PayPal or whatever and then – they're trying to get small businesses loans, but they're – Let's put it this way. They have their place. As an investor, as you know, and a business owner, the returns that we can create from money are usually very high, and that's why we do it. Like as a real estate investor, we can turn 5000 into 50000 or whatever somehow, right? And if you think about it that way, if they're providing us the money and we don't have any other source, then hey, come on in. Right, so it's it's more of that kind of conversation, and I understand high interest seems really, I guess, not so favorable. But again, if it if it's the lifeblood of your business and it keeps your business open, you live another day to go make another however much money to pay back that loan. But we're, if we shut our doors, we can't fight again. We can't go out and do anything. 
True. Yeah. True. You'd have to liquidate all your microphones and TV and all that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> hey, I got some for sale here for you. Yeah. Huh? you want oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you facilitate and, and make that introduction. You don't necessarily do the underwriting or do any of the back end stuff. Part of my value proposition to the people that I get to work with, some I just make the introduction. Other ones I do the un, I do some of the I want to say filtering. I'll look at it even before. Like let's say you were trying to get a loan. I'll talk to you and I'll talk to you about your deal and I'll find out more. And if it's a deal that's not really a deal or it just doesn't make any sense, I'll, I'll say like it doesn't make any sense. And it's because maybe you don't know how the product works. You don't know what the LTV is. You don't know how any of it is underwritten. I'm going to stop you before moving any further because it's just not going to work. Maybe you're trying to get a hard money loan, but the way your situation is set up or your deal is set up, you're going to need to bring $50,000 to the table. You may not have that money. And instead of setting you up for failure, I just say, this is what's going to happen. Do you still want to move forward? And a lot of times you might you just say no. And it's like, it saves them time. It saves you time. It's a, you know, the only time wasted is mine, but that's the value <laughs> proposition that I offer yeah. for some clients. Now gotcha. there are, there's a bank that I work, I work at where I do all of the underwriting, I actually create the reports. Like the, there's banks, I don't know if you know this, but banks have credit memos and they're like thick reports. Every loan that gets refinanced is a thick report created by people. And it sucks. It really does suck. But that's why that's why banks have like 30 days, 45 days to, to come back around to, to issue your loan. It's because they're busy writing that dang report. <laughs> yeah, so people think it's something quick. Oh, just, you know, here's my here's my ARV and here's my debt service coverage ratio. Come on, what's the big deal? Well, yeah. we have to we have to put the report together because of wow. regulations. Gotcha. Regulations kill banks. Mm. The big banks. So there was the Dodd-Frank Act, Frank Act. I don't know if you know exactly what happened, but in 2008, you know, there was the whole financial crisis and they were saying that the loans were predatory and we're going to put all this regulation in place, Dodd-Frank Act, and we're going to protect the people. Well, at first on the surface, you would think like, huh, banks won't want that. And then a few years later, they were thinking about repealing the Dodd-Frank Act. At least I think this is how the story goes. But then the big banks were fighting to keep it in place. And it's just like, what? Why, why the heck would you do that? Because – the regulations that are involved with issuing loans is so labor intensive that it kills small banks. So small banks take business away from big banks, but big banks have all the resources in the world to handle that. They'll have a dedicated team for regulations. A small bank, it's like not only are you waiting on customers, but you're dealing with regulators and you're cleaning the toilet all in one, right? So the small wow. banks are trying to do this stuff. And the big banks are like, yeah, go regulate them more. Go regulate them more. And they're dying here. Holy so people crap. don't see that part. People think it's yeah. like really glamorous to own a bank. But it's not because of all of that other stuff, all of the wow. red tape, as they call it. Yeah, that's the first I ever heard. I never thought of it that way. It's so sinister, right, man? Just, uh, we can get into this rabbit hole about corporate America. And that's, why, that's why you and I aren't really a part of it anymore. Uh, it's just uh, – you know, there's so much going on, especially now, especially when we talk to our mutual buddy, MC, MC Lobster, he and I go really deep on this stuff, especially when, when the crisis started hitting us. We're like, 
is this by design? What's going on? You know, like right. we, we just do, we just take that pill, man. And we go down together and then we come out and we're like, Oh, you all right, man. Oh, I'm depressed now. <laughs> I need a day away from this. This is depressing because it's scary, especially if you're a Kiyosaki fan, you know, and how he's talked about, and then I, you know, we don't have to get into it now. We could turn off the mics so we don't offend everyone, but yeah. <laughs> he, he did, he, he brought it up on, um, on a show. I forgot the guy's name. Maybe you remember, but he said how this is really sort of all focusing on vaccines. It's all, it's all revolving around pushing that initiative out there. So whether that's true or not, it's pretty scary, you know, regulations and, and yeah, and, I'm actually really interested to see how the world turns out when we come out of all the, this, right? Because I do know people personally who have contracted. COVID-19, again, for those listening, in the year 2030 or 2035 or whatever. Uh, we're in How 2020 and COVID-19 is affecting people and actually killing people. Now, whether the ratio is high or low or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter when your friend has it. So yeah, the, the percentage could be 0.0001, but it's 100% of my one friend that is sick, you know, and it, it's scary. And then my friend who got sick, he actually lost two of his coworkers. They died. He knew that oh, for really? 15 years. And so oh, again, wow. oh, but the but the ratio home, the ratio is only, you know, point point zero 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 two that people died. Well, these two who were in my life died. One hundred percent of him died. One hundred percent of him died. So I don't care for the ratios and all that. They actually died. So it's a scary thing. In that regard, people are dying, but whether it was a big conspiracy for all that, no idea. Above our pay grade, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's hard to focus on things that you don't really have a ton of control over. So you have to just let it ride out regardless of what and how things happened. You know, we persevere, take everything day by day. And, you know, if, if you maintain a positive, optimistic attitude, you know, you'll get through it all and, and you know, just figure it all out. So, so what's next for you, brother? You're, 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 you're in real estate, you're in the loans, and now you, you, I hear you're, you're jumping into life insurance, man. What's that? Yeah, uh, meeting, meeting MC Lobsher at your PodMax event. Interestingly enough, you brought it up earlier. Uh, it was one of those things, right? I had to make a decision. So your PodMax event, it wasn't free to be on and it, it wasn't it wasn't expensive, but it wasn't cheap. It was one of those kind of like it makes you stop to think, like, hmm, this is this is a an investment in myself, right? So what's the ROI? And it was like, okay, well, if I say no, I know exactly what's gonna happen. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but if I say yes, what is likely to happen, right? So if I say yes, what's the worst that could happen? Well, whatever I spent is gone and I got no return out of it. What's the best that could happen? Well, I could spend this money and I could meet somebody there and meet a hundred people there, whatever, and, and we can build this giant business and or or they can just give me properties and give me money because they like me. I don't know, that's the best best case. And then something in the middle, and that something in the middle was like, okay, I'm gonna meet a couple of key people, and those key people we're going to do something and i don't know what that is yet and i and i love the journey of it all i don't i don't know what the i don't know what the end result's going to be but it's going to be something right and it's funny there was somebody else that i had met there and we had met up afterwards and we were considering creating a company 
together because the person was looking to branch out and they wanted somebody who could run their Philadelphia office, right? But then I thought to myself, I was like, I don't really want to run this kind of company. So that fizzled and I thought, oh, wow, there's the ROI right there. Like I met this person, we talked and then voila, but meow, right? And I was like, all right, well, I I was on a couple podcast shows, whatever, but then – with MC, I met with him again because I was on his show. He got to meet me. He got to know me. He, he understood my philosophy. He liked it. I jived. We jived. He invited me to his local meetup to speak to his, his family, right, his real estate family. I got, to, I got to sit down with him at dinner, spoke at his event, and then we got to talking. I was like, I really like what you have going on. I would love to be able to – present this opportunity with life insurance and estate planning and all of that, I would love to present that to the people that I already am involved with because it's a perfect fit. This product, this cash value life insurance product allows them to be richer and more tax efficient and more protected and everything. And it wasn't until I really understood how to do it through MC because he has an investor-focused way of creating a life insurance policy. Uh, it wasn't until I sat down with him and then also really like met him. He's a really good person. And so we meshed and now it's something. Now we're creating something together. Yeah. Big shout out to MC Lobster, the Cashflow Ninja and Producers Wealth, which is now you're part of that family yeah. and that team, right? Which is massive, you know, because we love him and that brand and all the stuff that he's built and created for, because like you said, it's it's about you first. It's about whoever's on the other side of, of MC. He wants to help genuinely, cares about people and knows that his product and your product now um, – can can get people more protection, can get people give people more options. Do you want to explain a little bit? I know it's a complex sort of strategy, but you're a very good teacher. You're oh, a very good I love professor. It. So, so break it down for people who don't know exactly what, what you guys provide. Love it. So a lot of times people will say that life insurance isn't sexy. I said, stop. <laughs> stop with the noise because when you understand it, it changes everything. It changes everything. The problem is there's too many people who are product peddlers, right? They're just peddling the product just to make a commission. And that's who you got to watch out for. The three things you got to watch out for are the bad agents with the wrong product within the wrong company, right? Bad agents, wrong product in the wrong company. If you find the right person that has the right product within the right company, then all of a sudden everything changes. Here's, I'm going to, I'm going to peel back the, the layers, right? Because people don't know how insurance works. They don't know how the agents get paid. None of that. So I will show it to you guys because this is how I described it to my community, my my community of real estate investors who know nothing about life insurance. And I presented it to them. And at first, when you say life insurance, it goes, right? Everybody just like (laughs) the room deflates. And I said, guys, I hated life insurance because of all the product peddlers that I've dealt with in my life. And the thing is, they're doing it for their commission. And oftentimes, the people who are product peddlers, they weren't looking. They didn't choose life insurance. They were looking for an opportunity. Somebody invited them to a meeting. The meeting happened to be a life insurance multi-level marketing company. They said, you can make all kinds of money. They signed on board and now they're a life insurance agent selling you whatever 
makes them the most money. So I said, this is how it works. Imagine this. With a whole life life insurance policy, there's a death benefit and a cash value, okay? So there's these divergent roads when you put your money in. So let's say you had $1,000. You put your $1,000 in. A person who designs it poorly would put a lot towards your death benefit. So let's say $900 goes towards death benefit and then $100 goes towards cash value. The reason they would do that is because they will get paid $900 on, a, on that policy. So their objective, if they wanted to maximize their commission, was to maximize your death benefit. But if you hear the words, it's called life insurance. It's not called death insurance. It's life insurance because there are living benefits, right? There are things you can do with it in your life. Somebody who designs it properly, if $1,000 goes in, maybe $300 goes towards death and $700 goes towards cash value. So you have this $1,000. It gets split like that. So the $300 is buying you this death benefit protection. That's just one part of it. But most of it, a majority of it, is going into the cash value. The, the thing that makes it sexy, right? this is how I explain it to them, the thing that makes life insurance sexy is that when you first start off in this journey of entrepreneurship is that you're always just trying to make more money, make more money, make more money, make more money, right? That's it. But at some point, you get to that phase in your life where you've made a good amount of money. Now you're asking yourself, how do I protect this money? That cash value that's in the life insurance policy cannot be touched by creditors. It cannot be touched in a divorce. It cannot be touched at, in anything. So you're protected that way. People talk about in protecting themselves with, with property insurance and entities and things like that. Well, this is another layer to protect your cash. So you have your cash in the cash value part. It's protected from creditors and it's growing nonstop, right? It's growing every single day or month or whatever. And it doesn't go down with the market. It's not attached to the market. It's attached to the company, the bigger company. The company's been around for over 100 years. So it's growing. It's protected. It doesn't have losses. And at some point, it does this snowball thing. And why people don't like life insurance policies is they don't have patience. So in the beginning, I put $1,000 in, $700 goes over here. The next month, I put $1,000 in. That original $700 turned into say 710 and then I put another and then another 700 goes in there. Now it's starting to snowball. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger compounding, compounding. right? Yeah. So at some point it gets to this massive snowball where I put 1000 in, 300 keeps paying my death benefit. The 700 that goes over here is now almost growing at 1000 or $2000. And so the snowball is growing that much faster. It just takes time for that snowball to to get there. So in the beginning, it seems like, oh, I'm putting a thousand in, I'm only getting 700. Yeah, but later, when the plan actually gets some momentum, you put a thousand in, you're getting 2,000 over there. It's yeah. growing at a much larger rate, the money's protected, and you can use that money for all kinds of stuff. What's all kinds of stuff? Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. So you can take that money out and you can do anything with it because it's your money. You could, you can take loans against that money. If you take a loan against the money, let's say you had $100,000 in there and you took a loan of $75,000, in the policy, there's still $100,000. It's not $25,000. It's still $100,000 because you're taking it against it, right? It's collateralized against. So that $100,000 is still growing at the rate a $100,000 snowball would grow at, not a $25,000 snowball. 
So you can borrow against it and then you can use that money for down payments on a house. You can use that for investing. You can start your business with it. You can pay for college with it. You, you name it. That's your money that you get to use. What's really cool, and this is the life insurance part, right? Not the death benefit part, but if you live till the age of 95, we will design a plan for you where maybe 20 years prior to you dying, like at the age of 75, you will start taking that money back out from the cash value to live with. So it's a retirement planning vehicle too. So you're using that cash value while you're alive. And then at some point, when you're 95 years old, you're going to pass away, and then the death benefit will then kick in and pay off your family and happily ever after. So it's, it's one of those things. People, people also say, like, buy term and invest a difference. The problem with that is term is going to be a waste of money unless it's not. You want it to be a waste of money because if you use term, that means you died because <laughs> term only has a death benefit. Right. And it has a nope. term. So yeah. if you don't die within that term, yeah. you've wasted money. Right. But you want to waste money in this case. You don't want to use it. So it's not yeah. the vehicle for everything and you hope to waste money. Whereas the whole life policy, you will for sure use it at some point because it's whole life. It will last until you die. Now, is there a maximum that I could – Contribute? Yeah, yeah. Policy? It's like 25% of your income because way back when, before there were too many regulations with life insurance, really rich people were like, oh, this is a, this is a great vehicle. I'm yeah. going to shove as much money as I can into these things, right? And then the IRS got wind of it. It was like, uh, we got to stop this. We got to stop this uh -huh. pra practice. So it's, it's a tool for the rich, right? But I'm trying to get it so that People are using what rich people do, and even if you're middle class or whatever it is, you can still apply the same strategies. So I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly summarize in my layman's terms, and hopefully anyone out there who comprehended or didn't comprehend, because you, you you did explain it very very well. But it, I have some I have a question around. So say I put a hundred thousand dollars in, right? You're saying I can borrow up to seventy five percent of that. You can borrow up to ninety percent of it. Actually, I just use seventy five as an example. So I could take $90,000 out of it and am I paying myself interest? You are paying the company work? interest actually. You are not the – so the money that – so you – it is a loan, right? And it's a loan from the company, not from your cash value. The life insurance company life insurance that's company. providing you the life insurance, Got they it. are giving you a loan, right? That company is giving you a loan but they're collateralizing your cash value that's within their company. But they can issue the loan quickly because it's their company and your cash value is within their company. So they're like, oh, got it. Collateralize. Send you a check real fast. What is, what's the range in, in terms of like whatever percentage I have to pay? Oh, the interest rate interest. or so? Like, yeah. So the interest yeah. rate on it is about 5% back to the company for the loan. But again, that money that's in there is this untouchable, unseeable money. And for those with children, at some point you might need to file for financial aid. Again, that cash value cannot be seen, so you're filling out like a FAFSA form. That's not that doesn't show up. It's just this tricky way of hiding assets. You can look, you can look dead broke on paper, 
and it's fantastic. <laughs> and I love that yeah. anonymity. I love it. Believe, believe it or not, there, there, there was a situation where this person reached out to me on Facebook Messenger and said, Hone, I looked you up all over the place. I can't find any of your properties. I don't, are you really a real estate investor? And I was like, yeah, that was by design. I don't want you knowing what I have and what any of that. Why are you, why are you looking this up? And I was just like, that's so weird. The thing is, there's a, there's a level of anonymity, especially landlords who have people, undesirables, for lack of a better word, that may look to harm you. Why would you want your tenants looking up Hone Tai and seeing 123 Main Street uh, under Hone Tai's name? As It's all by design so that you can't be touched and your assets are protected, just like this vehicle with life insurance, which is fantastic. And here, I just wanted to highlight one really cool thing, because I know you're about to say something, is that say I'm paying 5% to borrow my own money. Well, I know people, and this is where I was like, man, this is brilliant. Why aren't you lending that out at 12 13, 14, 15%, right? There's no laws or rules against you doing whatever you want to do with your money, right? Now, arbitrage. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I love that arbitrage game all day long, right? So people do that. Um, what else? What you can do with anything in life, it just depends on how creative you are and what yeah. you know what you can think of. So yeah, that, that happens too. So what's cool about you, brother, is that um, if anyone gets in touch with you, you are that creative sort of financing brain. If, 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 if you're out there and you're like, man, I, this sounds so crazy. Is this legit? Is this real? Well, it wouldn't be something that's recommended by someone like Hone or MC. These are all things that are designed by the institutions and the government for, like you said before, the rich to benefit from and to leverage uh, because they have a lot of wealth. They have the things that they need to protect. And, and, and these are vehicles designed for them that we, as middle class or whatever you want to call it, the everyday guy or gal, can also use the tools because it's part of the law. And that goes with like the tax laws around real estate. You know, Donald Trump saying, I don't pay taxes because I'm smart. And then people get upset with that. And it's like, you know, you can do the same. It's called depreciation and cost segregation, 1031, like whatever. Like you could do the same. Look those things up, folks. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of, yeah, well, well, maybe we'll say that for another episode, cost seg and, and 1031s. But yeah. yeah, all of that too. And Bigger Pockets is a great resource. I know there's a, what's it, if you Google anything like 1031, is it not, not Motley Fool? There's another uh, website that really does a good job with explaining it in an easy to digest way through infographics and video. I forget the name of it. But um, yeah, brother. So, we're coming to the end here, man, and, and, and time flies when you're having fun, right? And, and and I do appreciate you coming into our circle and being a part of the family, and I'm so happy and proud to see you just flourish and grow and, like, continue to test and experiment, and, like, that's working. You know, it's so cool to, to see the zero fear from you. It's really inspirational, man. It's not zero fear. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. There is fear, <laughs> like, just up and down, right? It's just yeah. – but – there's courage and that's the go. big difference, right? Love like it. a soldier on the front line is scared, yeah. but they have courage. Now I'm no soldier, but I have fear, <laughs> but I have courage. 
Well, you don't let fear dominate or take over, which is great. That's 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 really my point. But uh, thank you for that. And also, yeah, how can people reach you? What's the best ways people can do business with you? Well, now now you're you're forcing me because I don't have it yet, right? But the email it's going to be hone h o a n hone at honesloans.com. It hasn't been created yet, so if you email me now, nothing. It's going to bounce back. But that's my. <laughs> That's my fire aim ready. I am going, I'm committing to it. I'm going to create it and it's going to be good or it's going to be whatever it is and no big deal. It's good stuff, man. I truly appreciate you and your time, man. And uh, looking forward to our next chat, brother. Yeah, same here, Eric. Thank you. That's it for now, folks. If you'd like to stay in touch with the show, you can contact me directly at eric at onairbrands.com. That's eric, E-R-I-K at onairbrands.com. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast platform. And please recommend us to one or two people in your circle. That will go a long, long way to growing our community. Also, if you could rate us on iTunes, just take a moment uh, to give us five stars. And if they have more stars, give all of them. We'd greatly appreciate you for that. And always, always like, subscribe, and share, share, share this show on social media. We'd love you for that as well. And if you have any ideas or want to hear something on a future show, please hit us up. Maybe you have a question for one of my guests or you want to uh, tell a story, a success story. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, especially if you're on the Anchor platform. You can leave us a voice message. We'd love to incorporate you and your voice on a future episode. Once again, folks, thanks again for listening to the Entrepreneur Circle. Please like, subscribe, and share, share, share. I am Eric Cabral, and as always, remember, your network is your net worth. So get in the circle. Yeah.